And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Ian Kahn, a special two-person spinoff of Under the Radar. This is not an Under the Radar. This is a different conversation. Not even close. Because there's no guy who's like yelling at everybody and everyone and welcome to your favorite. It's not there. So we'll do our best without him. I called him. I called him. I said, hey, you want to? But nothing back yet. So we got to do it. Let's do it. I'm excited. It's like the Frasier to Cheers. If under the radar is Cheers, this is Frasier. I think is the (laughs) way I would describe it. Well, some okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Although it could be like friends to Joey. (laughs) <laughs> it's probably more like that in terms of <laughs> quality and how well it will be received. But uh, we talked about it briefly out under the radar. I think it was two weeks ago. You've updated dynasty rankings that are available on The Athletic. Subscribers yes. can check those out, and they absolutely should. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast gets you the best deal possible on a subscription if you don't have a subscription yet. And I just had a lot of questions for you about your process, some of the more difficult players to rank. And we, we, we get into so many different topics on this podcast on every single episode, whether it's the waiver episode, whether it's the Thursday ones with guests, whether it's under the radar, I just wanted to focus on one bigger thing that this time of year, especially, is really important. And I think you and I have been pushing this for a while that the final two months of the season are one of the absolute best times to improve your team for the long haul, especially if you're not going to win this year. You can still get a lot better right now. And if you're going to win this year, it's probably because you keep making moves and that you're being very aggressive both on the trade front and on the waiver front, you know, churning and churning and churning the roster over and over and over again, right? That's a huge, huge part of being successful. But just from a broader perspective, I feel like ranking players throughout this year, no matter what type of rankings they are, has been really difficult because last year, of course, was just so weird for everybody. So, when you're looking at a player or looking into a player, how far back do you go when you're starting to put all the pieces together? You go back to 18, 19, like where do you kind of draw the line and say, that's far enough back. That's a, a complete enough picture for me to evaluate who I think this player is at this point. I go back to uh, their draft position when they were originally drafted. How about that? You go like all the I way go, back to the beginning. I go all the way back and I try to take it from there all the way till now. Right. So if it's a new guy who's just been drafted, a Harry Ford, a Khalil Watson, um, uh, a, you know, whoever's whoever's going right now, all the way up to guys today and looking at how they're doing comparable to their draft status when they were first drafted. So I really go back quite, quite, quite a bit, quite a bit, actually. It's not just this year or last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody who kind of fits into this really well. Um, I want to find somebody like Machado, right? Like Machado, one of the things to always remember about Manny Machado, top three draft pick and a phenomenal player back then came out out of high school. You know, I, I try to like picture where he is in his journey as a player. Garrett Cole, the number one pick in the draft. Where is he in his journey as a player? Like Bobby Witt Jr. is another one. I'm just looking in the mid-20, early, low 20s on my list right now. You know, I, I, Jared Kalanick, a little bit lower on the list. Top, you know, six pick in the draft to the Mets a couple of years ago. So I, I just try to look at the trajectory all the way from there to the present day. It's kind of how I think about it. Sure. Uh, I think that's a totally reasonable way to think about it because you're you're also, I probably imagine, trying to find similar players or similar patterns and get a sense for if the player is at his peak right now or he's just slightly post-peak right now, maybe Machado, you could say, is slightly post-peak. How long is he still going to be very good? Because there's a, a fine line that that a player walks. Usually it's on the wrong side of 30. Machado's not quite there yet. Yeah, I don't think he's at his peak quite yet. 
I think there's I think there's a spot left to grow. I think you look at a guy like Machado and you got him at 21st in your rankings, which is more just a relative thing. The specific, he's 21 and so-and-so is 23. That doesn't matter so much. But I think that the hardest thing about playing in a dynasty league or evaluating players from a dynasty league or keeper league perspective is looking at Machado versus Bobby Witt Jr., where you've got Machado probably has, reasonably speaking, 10 more years of big league playing time to go, right? I expect him to be playing 10 years from now at some level. Like he yeah. might not be maybe eight to ten, eight to ten, but yeah, right. He's probably yeah, not yeah. going to be a shallow league. He could be like an Evan Longoria type fantasy player at the end of that window, but he's still a major league player at the end of that. But then you have to say, how many very good years does Machado have left where he's still an early top, rounder top in redraft? Yeah, yeah. like a, a guy that you are excited to have on a redraft team and you're really happy to have him as a building block for keeper and dynasty purposes. And that answer is probably somewhere between. Three and five. Yep, I would agree with that. Also, one thing I look at with somebody like Machado is when they come up early, that means the talent is so ridiculous that they tend to be able to hold on a little later. Right. If you That's debut as an 18 or a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, like there's a very good chance you're going to play until you're 38, 39, or 40. I mean, That's Miguel Cabrera, right? Look at Miguel Cabrera right. right now. Albert Pujols is still playing at, at a... Yep. A level that's useful to a big league team, which is actually a bit of a surprise to me, given what happened in Anaheim. But that's not really the point of this conversation. I think the the thing that's hard for me is to look at Manny Machado against Bobby Witt Jr., just to find yeah. a, a prospect who hasn't played in the big leagues yet, who you have ranked nearby, and to say, these guys are equal in value in the long term, the, right. the forever mentality, because we have so much more confidence in Machado's next three years than we do in Witt's next three years. Like, we know Witt's going to get to the big leagues in the next three years, but we don't know how good he's going to be and how quickly. That's a fun one right there, right? Bobby Witt Jr. and Manny Machado. So that's all context, right? I mean, that's all, what are you doing? Because we're at a point in the season, I would highly recommend this. I'm sure we said this on the show on Tuesday. But, like, if you're in a keeper league, you and I are in a, a keeper league together where we are competing, the two of us, super fun. This is, in fact, I'm having as much fun with that league as any league right now. Um, where I just made a trade with Chris from Baseball Pods. And I traded Vidal Bruhan, who he's going to be able to have really for five to six years, for Jack Flaherty that I'm only going to get for two years, or really just a year plus the rest of the season. And that's all context, right? Because for him who's not competing this year hold and probably not next year to hold on to Flaherty doesn't really make that much sense so he's gotta get stuff from it and that's what people should be doing in all their leagues if you're not winning right now in keeper leagues or in dynasty leagues you should be reaching out to the teams that are in competition and trying to work them against each other and be like well who's gonna win like if I were in that league and I would be calling you and me and Schlain and Eisner and sort of say, okay, these are the guys who are here. And it kind of happened on Friday because I went to a full, I had time on Friday and I just made like, I don't know, three, four trades in that league. And then you followed up and made two, three trades and Eisner made a trade. Schlain didn't make any trades. But like the point is that like you, you've got value on teams, especially in keeper leagues. You've got to use that value to get future value back. And that's what it's all about. So if if I'm competing right now and I own Bobby Wood Jr. and I, let's say my third baseman is Eugenio Suarez, who is my third baseman, I, my, my least favorite fantasy baseball player, Eugenio Suarez, hate him, hate him, hate him. Sorry, everybody who loves him, hate him, hate him, hate him. I wanted Manny Machado. I traded, actually, I traded, and this is different because it's contracts, but I traded for Manny Machado on Friday. I gave up Jorge Mateo on a, like $2 next year, $2 you can keep him for like three, four years for Machado, not on an expiring contract, but on an expiring eventually contract pretty soon. Also, it's $32 a year, so I'm not sure you're going to keep him at that price. But I also took on Ramon Laureano's contract. So like, you know, it's all about that right now. And it just that's the fun of the game. Is it not the fun of the game, DVR? That's the fun of the game to me. Yeah, it's, it's a constantly changing puzzle to solve to make your team as good as it can possibly be having to make difficult decisions on who to cut or who to send back in a trade Uh, even injured players right now trying to make a call with six weeks to go 
is Shane Bieber really coming back? Like trying to decide on something yeah. like that is actually pretty fascinating. I cut Shane Bieber in that league, not because I don't think Shane Bieber's good, but because I think at fifty four dollars, you're not going to keep him. Definitely not going to keep him. And Cleveland's incentive to bring him back this season is minimal. Other than to maybe just prove, hey, yeah, my arm feels good. Maybe he gets a couple starts. Great. Yeah, that's it. He's not going to make a difference. In fact, I'm going to drop him in Tower Wars and, and collect his fab money because uh, I bid 35 I got him for $35 in the auction. Um, yeah, that's that's what's fun about this time of year. And the dynasty list that, that we put out um, is there to help you kind of figure out at least what I think about the stuff and what I think about the players. And the, the crazy thing about doing a dynasty list, is as soon as you put it out, you disagree with yourself, <laughs> like immediately, and uh, and 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 that's happened here. Though, the the worst part about this list is clearly the spelling, um, <laughs> clearly the spelling. But I did take time today to go over all of the players that apparently have been misspelled and fix them on my list, so they will not be misspelled moving forward. So, cheers and tip of the hat to you. Sorry, it's a, a weak part of my game. Uh, but so so anyway, that's that's how I'm thinking about this time period for fantasy baseball in keeper leagues and in dynasty leagues. Is is it is the time to make yourself better for the long term, or make yourself better for right now? Because you know what, winning is fun. All of this comes back to one really simple direction, and that's to choose a direction. Like it, it's a yep. fundamental rule of a long term league. Make sure you're either playing for now or playing for the future. Don't get caught in the middle where you have some good pieces for the future, but you got some good players for now. And you're not really cashing. You're not really you're not getting better. Like you have to pick a direction. It's so important to do that. I'm curious, as you played in these leagues for more than a decade now, are you finding that people have a tendency to overrate a player's long-term future against a current player's production? Like, do you feel like most most dynasty league managers, if they were building a team right now, would be more inclined to take Wit over Machado? thinking about that future production and the fact that you're going to get him for a longer period of time, most likely, right? Wit's mm -hmm. probably got 15 years of, of time in the big leagues. And we yeah. just said Machado might have 10 max and you haven't seen the Wit peak yet. And maybe you're either at or just past the Machado peak. Like, do you feel like people are going too far in how they are looking at long-term players and, and guys who haven't even debuted yet in comparison to known High quality players. Yeah, but that's kind of the fun of it, right? I mean, one thing I was thinking about, and I, I don't know who who makes this list, but we should come up with a name for a player who is um, who who was maybe there is a name for such, but I guess uh, a player who's a prospect who came up and stunk, and then their stock drops tr dramatically. Like, what do we have? They have post-hype is what we call them later. But someone like uh, Reed Detmers, right? Reed Detmers has been killing it in the minor leagues. Killing it, killing it, killing it. Comes up to the majors, struggles the first two starts, then does a great start against a bad team. I forget who it was. And then comes back yesterday and can't get through three innings. Reed Detmers' value drops. Vidal Bruhan, who I traded earlier today for, um, for Flaherty, he came up and really struggled, right? And now his value is dropped, right? So it's it's like those are the guys who in the offseason, I think people should be looking out to get. That's why I say I always go back to where they were drafted. I always go back to the pedigree. I trust to a large extent, not completely. I mean, I trust my eyes more than anything, but I trust the scouts and, and where guys get drafted. Now, sometimes it's a little tricky because Henry Davis was drafted by the Pirates because he made a deal with him to under slot. So like that can move things around. Um, Heston Jerstad, is that how you say his name? Heston, is that it? I think it's Kerstad. Kerstad, okay. I was in the ballpark. Yeah, you know, he was the third pick for the Orioles last year. That was an underslot pick, and, and it's kind of proving itself to be an underslot pick, that that's what they were going for. But like, if you look back and you go back to the pedigree, it always goes back for me to the pedigree. And do they live up to it? I remember back when I really started playing in 2012 or 13, is when I really started playing Dynasty Baseball. I remember Nick Castellanos was this prospect coming up who had a great hit tool and i remember trading ian kensler for nick castellanos uh and and uh and one of my friends said, said nick castellanos nick castellanos for ian kensler what are you an idiot right i was like no it wasn't because castellanos was on his way up uh but but th these guys like jesse winker 
Five years ago, Jesse Winker was going to be a big deal. Now he is a big deal. Francisco Lindor has struggled certainly this year, but when he was coming up as a prospect, like they, it was showing that he was going to be something special. If you want to do something fun, go back to old prospect lists from 2015, 16. You're going to be amazed at what you see. Everyone is playing in the major leagues now, pretty much in the top 30 and half of the, you know, few of them are amazing and a few of them are kind of just decent players, not great, but that's kind of the fun of it. And the key thing is to figure out when to buy and when to sell. Don't buy when it's fun. <laughs> Don't We talked about it under the radar. Don't buy Alec Manoa right now or right when he came up and he gave the big start against the Yankees. Impossible to trade for at that point. You wait till he blows up a couple of times and then you can get him back. Sell high. I can't say it enough. Like I, There's one team, I have a partner. We had Kenta Maeda coming into the season and I was just like, got to trade Kenta Maeda as fast as possible. He's like, no, 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 Maeda, he's great. I was like, he's not going to be great. He's great. He's not going to be great. We got to sell him now. He's never going to be higher than he is now. We didn't sell him. And now I was watching the Yankees versus the Twins yesterday. And I went, he just got Tommy John surgery. I just saw it. I just saw it happen on that pitch. And I think that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying that is definitely going to happen, but he's got the forearm tightness. He was shaking the elbow. John Smoltz was like, ooh, why is he shaking his elbow so much? I was like, he's hurt. He's done. And had we sold him prior to this season, Kenta Maeda, we would have gotten a top 20 prospect plus for him. Now, waiver wire. I, mean, I think part of that was also more extreme because of the 60-game season. There wasn't enough time for the league to adjust to Maeda's slider-heavy approach last year or for that to catch mm-hmm. up to him physically or for just regular regression to happen. I mean, yeah, that's fair. A, two, a 270 ERA and a .75 whip People don't do that for full seasons. I mean, especially the .75 whip as a starter. That's unheard of. And if you look at his career numbers, ERA is a full run higher. The whip's good at 114. This is a guy who was managed very carefully during his time with the Dodgers. There was a reason that they managed him that way. It wasn't only the incentives in his contract. It was also that he would lose effectiveness late in the year, right? So... Looking back on it, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like it's easy to look back at the ADP list five months after the fact and go, Especially "Yep, yeah, avoided that, avoided that." <laughs> but it, it. It, but it's it, it's just like sometimes there are huge red flags on players, and recency bias can blind us to them. And if you are if you're in a long term league and you're really good at handling recency bias, you can leverage those swings in value and come away yes. so much better in the long That's run. That's the point. That's what you got to do. That's the win. That's how you win. That's how I win is by the guys like a guy like Pete Alonso. If you have the foresight, I think that Pete Alonso has a big year next year. I really do. And I think he's it's going to be considered a down year this year for him. But like when do you sell? And it's hard because you don't want to sell guys when they're just like right on the verge of something. But I was talking about um, like Steven Strasburg because we also own Strasburg in that league. Like someone said, well, would you trade Strasburg? I was like, hell no, no, no. You don't trade Strasburg now. You don't trade guys like with Jacob deGrom in that league too. And people ask for deGrom. No, you cannot have deGrom because he's hurt. And I'm not willing because you're going to get 30 cents on the dollar. 40, nah, maybe with DeGrom, you'll get a little bit more. You'll probably get 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents. But still, you don't, don't do it. Don't trade your hurt guys, unless you're desperate. And also depends on the format. Like in Maki, the, the keeper league that we have, I was really considering trading Carlos Rodon this weekend to get some help. Because uh, he's going to, it looks like he may come, but now, and then I saw yeah, he's going to pitch Thursday. Okay, I won't necessarily put him in the lineup, but at least he'll, he'll be around. If there's no IL where you can stash hurt players, that's a place where you do it. You know, that, that Maki League is very clever. I really do enjoy that league. And you are, you are, DVR, you are the best commissioner, period, of any league. And I commission a league myself. And you are just, you're the best commissioner. I just want to tip my hat to you. I almost did it on online to the, to the league, but I'll do it in front of everybody. If you can get in a league where Derek Van Riper is your commissioner, you're in very, very good hands. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a good league. And it's because of you. That's well, it. I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's increasingly difficult to get into a league that I'm the commissioner of because I don't, 
I don't start new ones anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a full plate in terms of uh, just overseeing that one, and it's got a lot of little funny rules and things yeah, that require does. that extra oversight. And oh man, does it ever? The Constitution was originally written by a lawyer, so it's you know it's, it's very wordy, and, and even then, there's we found something was missing in it this season. Yes, so we did. You know, you have to untangle problems that come up in a league like that, but it helps that league. It's really a good group too. People yeah, just tend is. to understand like hey this was a mistake let's just let's be cool about it like not every league responds yeah, to I gave a, a pass on like that, that didn't i i gave a pass on that because yeah. it was me who kind of got screwed on that and then got saved by it the next day because one of the guys oh i should explain what happened ian hap got i dropped ian hap i had him on a contract for nine dollars for next year as well if i drop him i take a five dollar hit because half of what the contract is in next year's auction, dropped him. Somebody else picked him up. And I was like, yo, because if you pick up somebody in the first week after they've been dropped, they're not like a base fab player. You pick up their contract. So I was like, yo, I just got saved $5 in next year's auction. I'm delighted. And DVR, you kind of were like, yeah, let me look it up. Oh, it doesn't say it in the Constitution. We'll throw it back out there. And then he got picked up again this week. So I saved my, I saved that $5. And then now, Took on Loriano's contract, so I'm still going to lose four dollars. But that's that's the fun of the game. Every little bit of value you can have, whether you know making trades where you can, you know, one of the great things about this league is you can buy, you can buy and sell Fab as well. It makes it much more easier to trade. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I have another idea. I'm going to share this with you on, on this show because it's a, it's about dynasty leagues. So there's a dynasty league that I've been doing um, for a number of years and I've been very successful in. Alex Cushing and I have been gone back and forth, blah, blah, blah. We've won the championship every year. Looks like uh, myself and I brought Robert Mershak oh, on as my partner last year and we won the league last year. It looks like we're going to win the league this year. It's kind of over. It's not fully over. It's kind of over. I have this idea. You ready? TBR, you ready? I'm ready. Changing the way Dynasty Leagues play. I played in a head-to-head Roto League that I started eight, nine years ago. Amazon, stop. <laughs> Sorry about that. So <laughs> I, I was in a, uh, a head-to-head Roto League. So it's like head-to-head points, but instead of like points for it, you just count up every week your stolen bases and you're against each other for home runs, RBI runs, all the, all the obvious five categories, average league. Um. It's one of the leagues I had to drop, unfortunately, because too many leagues. But what if what if Dynasty Leagues did this? You play it out from April 1 to September 1, 15-team league. And instead of it just being Roto all the way to the end, on September 1st, you have five teams that make the playoffs. Okay? All the right. team that comes in first gets a bye to the finals. Then five plays two, three plays four in the first week. Let's say team four beats team three and team five beats team two. Then you have team four play team five for the right to play team one. Team four wins. Then it goes, so it's one week of the first week, second week. And then the last one is a two-week final between team one and whatever team came out of the tournament to face them. Winner wins. So what it does is it really does make winning the league during the regular season very valuable, right? Because you're automatically into the finals. But it also makes it so that instead of like just fighting for the money, you're fighting to get into the playoffs, which is one of the best things about head-to-head, which is then you got to play well at the end. And it also what excites me about it is, so I'm in first place. I've got We've got like a bunch of good players on our bench that I would love to trade, but no one's competing, 
to to win, other than Ari Sunshine, who is in second place, and Rich Wilson to a certain extent in third. But if also t- fourth place and fifth place were getting into the playoffs to possibly win the league, teams in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, if they had a chance, they would buy, and they would be fighting all the way to September first. What do you think? I love the concept of any concept for a league that keeps more teams engaged for a longer period of time. And that could be any sport, right? It doesn't have to be even dynasty baseball. It could be a fantasy football league. It could be a basketball league. Anything that keeps people interested. We've talked about dynasty leagues that have a a more flat payout structure where maybe it pays down six or seven spots, Mm -hmm. right? You could actually do reasonably well if you took fifth, sixth, or seventh compared to I don't know, or picking earlier in the draft or whatever the incentive is to finish there now. Right, right. You, those types of leagues, I think, are ultimately better because they do keep player movement going. They do keep trades happening. And it's just more, more fun for more people. Yeah, like there, that's there, it. There is a, like, as competitive as, as you and I both are, I think we want everybody to have fun playing this game. Totally. Has to be. Has to be fun. It's a lot of time also, in to not have fun with it. Yeah, and also... Like you look at what's going on with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays and the American League East or any of the other teams. Everyone's fighting just to make it to the playoffs. And if they can make it through the playoffs, if they can, if they can get into the playoffs, anything can happen. That's the one downside, I think, for a year-long Roto League. So I don't know. I, I you know, we're, we're still creating in our minds, DBR, the perfect dynasty uh, baseball league. I kind of think this would work, don't you? Like, because then let's say I'm in first place and I get the buy all the way to the end. And then some team comes along that's super hot and they end up winning the championship. That's more like baseball. Yeah. And you could, I mean, you could also hold in, pull in the payout structure that we were just talking about right. where all those teams that gotten into the playoffs are getting something. Mm-hmm. You made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You did well, right? Sure. So that way, if you're the team that was in first in the regular season and you do get bounced in the final week in that last matchup. Yeah. You're still that- getting second place money. You're still, yeah, you're still getting you're good guaranteed money for that. second place money, right? If you like, win the I, league, I, I think as long as you balance out the pay correctly on it, it it could work for sure. I, I think the only thing that gives me some pause is it makes a baseball league a little more like a football league, where you can be good and good and good and good and good, and then one bad week changes your whole season. And that, but that's kind of but that's kind of how baseball is. It is, but I think for fantasy baseball in particular, the last week of the season, it's like week 17 in the NFL where you it's have true. some teams that are resting guys. It's true. A lot of injuries that have piled up by then. The team you have then might be the weakest version of a great team that you've had all season. So you've played this 26-week yeah. season, and for the first 24 to 25 weeks, your team was just legitimately better than it was for the most important week of the year for things that are out of your control. That's the only structural thing I'm worried about. I get that. I get that. Maybe we started in mid-August then, or, you know, and then gives Nando the, 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 (laughs) I don't want to play 60 games. I want to be done. I don't want to be doing this in September. You know, he he loved the 60 game season. (laughs) I'm glad we'll probably never see a 60 game season again. Say that, but I don't know. But, but especially with what's going on with the, uh, with, with the, with the labor issues. But, yeah, no, I'm, I've really enjoyed a full season this year. It's been a great season. I, I've been, uh, I've just enjoyed it so thoroughly. So many, the, one of the great things, and I don't even know, did I, is, Carlos Hernandez has got to be on this list. Is he on this list? Carlos Correa, Carrasco, Hernandez, 289. I might have to raise him up. I am loving me some Carlos Hernandez, and I own him in every league except for the league I share with Eno. <laughs> where Eno got him. Um, but every other league, I think I have him. I have him in Tout Wars. I have him in Labor. I have him in Maki. I have him in GDD. I have him in DL1. I mean, I just, I love him. And that's the eye test, right? So that's not pedigree. That's eyes. Because he signed for $15,000 uh, when he was like 16 years old. So th- th- this wasn't big. But I just love the way the kid pitches. And he did it again. He did it again today. Oh, love him. I love tall hard-throwing right-handers who've got a great head on their shoulders. How about that? <laughs> well, yeah, there's a there's a mental toughness that I think we're already seeing from him, especially with the schedule that he's gone through. I think prior to the start today, he had, what, Houston, the yes. Yankees, yes. the White Sox twice. That's a really tough stretch of schedule. Yeah, but he was good against the Yankees, and he I knew he was going to struggle against those Astros, but with the two-start week with the Cubs on the back end and the run he gave up today, DVR, crap. 
It wasn't a real run. Dozier just missed the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I, you're right. I, yeah. I think Hernandez is interesting because I think he kind of he pushes back on the importance of pedigree. Like so, mm-hmm. I almost think sometimes pedigree can work against us. Like you were talking earlier about going back to the beginning and looking at, you know, what evaluators thought of a player, what a team thought of a player, what they invested in that player. And I think maybe with international signings, that's where it has to kind of go out the window because there's so much more volatility within that group of players. You could find more gems. Gems yeah, obviously come from all over the place, but I just think the the likelihood of a, a 15th round pick becoming a star, I think, is lower than the likelihood of a, a $15,000 bonus signing from Venezuela becoming that kind of player. Yeah, I, I just think, I think that's just, right. Because I think there's less information on those players. That's why. That's why there's more noise. It, it's it's the structure. Like in, if for for an American prospect, the amount of information you get from the tournament circuit and the number of eyes on those players is significantly greater, right? So that's why teams have more confidence and and more more to go off of with those players. That's why I think there's a little more accuracy there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Hernandez, because he's been probably overshadowed by Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, Asa Lacey. I think we've talked about this a little bit on a previous episode, but because he's been overshadowed by those guys, I think people have lower expectations for him than they should, or it will take a little longer than it should for people to realize, no, he's actually just as good as those guys. He could be better than those guys. Could be. And because we haven't seen him on prospect lists ranked ahead of them, it doesn't quite make sense in our heads. But another pedigree guy, right? So uh, this is what I do in drafts. I got Carlos Rodon before this season in many, many spots, right? He was the third pick in the draft about, what is it, six years ago now? You remember? I remember. Yeah. He uh, was, he was the, he was, he was, uh, he was a big deal. And when I see guys like that who are just hanging out, just waiting to be taken, I think in one NFBC league, I got him in like the 41st round. I kid you not. Oh, I mean, he was he was a guy that they non tendered and then brought back and for was five million dollar contract. By right? by no means was he guaranteed a roster spot, mm. right? I mean, there was there was a path for him to not even make the roster to be an early spring training cut and to be pitching somewhere else, trying to trying to get a spot. Here's the thing about Rodon. I'm glad you brought him up. I actually, when when you were talking about Maeda before, I started thinking, okay, I'm talking about these red flags that we could have seen with Maeda, who is going to be among the players that gets significantly overdrafted relative to the overall body of work. Carlos Rodon is going to be more expensive than he's ever been at any point as a fantasy baseball player in 2022 drafts, right? Yes. And I sure. like I like him. Like I've always liked him as a prospect. He's had so many arm injuries though. It's a big part of why he hasn't reached this level prior to this season. I am skeptical that he could make value over a full season, if his ADP is going to be probably somewhere in the 60 to 75 range. And I think the the dynasty connection here would be like, I would be absolutely trying to move on from him in dynasty if I had somebody willing to go to that current price. Like you've got him as a fringe top 50 guy in dynasty, like based on what he's doing and what he was supposed to do coming to the league. I totally understand where that comes from. I'm so worried that he is a fast peak guy, mostly because of health, that this is going to unravel on him just as quickly as things unraveled on a guy like Maeda this season. Yeah, I mean, certainly health is the major issue with Rodon because he's got the stuff. I mean, he's almost throwing 100, and his slider is one of the five most unhittable pitches in baseball. You can't hit it. You can't hit it. It's always been a good pitch. Can't can't hit it. So... um, yeah, all right. Uh, you know, you said when you were going through where he's going to be drafted next year, I had in my head, I was like, well, is he going to be 20, 35, 40? And then you said 60 to 75? Yep, because that would put him, I, I think Fourth, the, fifth comp, round. the comp for me, like health-wise, is probably like a hinge in Ryu, right? Lots of injuries for Ryu, but he's pitched really well when he's been healthy. But Ryu never had quite this strikeout upside no a lot more finesse with Ryu deeper arsenal uh, more command than, than than being an overpowering pitcher they get there different ways but I think the the injury path is similar and the volatility that comes from that is similar and I think Ryu relative to his performance didn't go quite as high as he could have gone he could have been pushed even more I think that'll be true of Rodon 
but I think there's still going to be a lot of risk there. And I, I just wouldn't be surprised at all if if I get pushed out and I get priced out on Carlos Rodon. If so it gets to 75, a, you'll, I'll, I'll, I'll take him there for sure. At, at 75, you're comfortable. Sure, 100%. I, I'd be excited. I'd be more than comfortable. I'd be excited. Because I think you have the upside of an absolute ace, even if it's 140 innings. You know what's interesting, though, about dynasty rankings with pitchers is that I don't think they differ all that much from redraft, relatively, well, because you, they, cause you can't yeah. project too far to the future because no, of the can't. uncertain health of pitchers. And also, you're going to find that when I do my off-season um, dynasty rankings, pitchers drop significantly in the off-season for me. Right now, we're in try-to-win time, and that's when you buy pitching. You need it to win. You need it to win. So, um, so that, you know, and then prospects are going to go up in the off season because they're, they're more juicy. They're more fun to watch. You know, they're more fun to to have on your team and and you got to use that to your benefit, (laughs) right? Like, of course you got to use that. You got to use that to as much as you need to make a direction. If you're a trader in your league, you need to figure out what the direction of the guys are in your league. Okay. And then help them get there. So it's like you need to rebuild without being a jerk about it and saying you need to rebuild because nobody wants that. But present them with something that gives them the opportunity to rebuild. And then they say, you know what? I really should. I should I should rebuild. Like somebody like Garrett Cole. I made a trade earlier this season. Oh, it's going to haunt me probably for, my, for the next 10 years. Um, Mershak and I traded. Uh, oh, what was it? Oh, boy. It was Torkelson. And Louis Robert for Garrett Cole. And we I did mean, it. I, I like that trade for you, getting I, Cole. I, I get it. But we also gave up two monster bats that are going to be around for a good long time. Two 23-year-old bats. But we pretty much locked the championship this year with that play. Like, pretty much locked it. Because, I mean, the, the pitching on the team is a little silly. It's, it's, uh, it's Scherzer. It's Sale. It's uh, Cole. It's Darvish. It's Alcantara, it's Ivaldi, it's uh, Aranola, <laughs> Jameson Tyone, Nestor Cortez, our buddy Nestor Cortez. Um, so I mean, but but Cole just puts it over the top, and it's like I've got the, we got a guy, and it's super fun to have, but it's one of those tricky things. And for the, the the team, John Halpin is the is the guy we made the trade with, and Halpin it was kind of not out of it yet, but kind of out of it. And he was like, hey, I'm going to get value for Cole. I'm going to get Torkelson and Louis Robert for Garrett Cole. And I'm going to put those guys in my lineup for the next 10 years if they don't tra- if he doesn't trade one of them. Um, but, you know, that's the fun of the game. It's like you, you get what you and, – and the key thing is to constantly be picking people up. So we picked up Anthony Volpe in like the second week of the season. And now he's on James Anderson's list. He's number 12. Yeah, big riser this season. Yeah, huge riser this season. So if you're if you're willing to keep working on the wire, we picked up Nick. I drafted Nick. We drafted Nick Prado this year. I was huge on Prado coming into the season, and you know, so we we're we're replacing those guys and making our team better. And that's the way you got to do it. That's what the key to dynasty leagues. Just keep working that wire, dude. Keep working it. Even though this week was really bad on the wire, it's a bad 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 waiver wire week. Bad redraft week, maybe a better dynasty week. I don't know if there's ever really yeah, a really. bad dynasty waiver wire week because there's a bigger pool of players. Like you could yeah, go after it, literally this, anybody. Yeah, but this week was not a particularly great waiver wire week. In a lot of leagues, uh, one guy to pick up is Kevin Smith, who just got pulled up, uh, picked up by uh, the Blue Jays. Frank Schwindel is a guy this week in dynasty. Tucker, well, these are just guys that we got to replace a catcher. So we're doing that. But. You know, some weeks is some weeks in the Devil's Rejects. We can only make four pickups in a week. Last week, I made my uh, Wilson Carmen and I made our four pickups by Thursday. Um, and this week, we still have three pickups left to make. Like we we just haven't. There hasn't been anybody who's sort of broken out. Um, but yeah, so I mean, look, this is Dynasty Theory stuff, and it's uh, it's kind of super fun. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I got one more question that we can focus on for a bit before we call this one an episode. Who are some of the most difficult players for you to adjust rankings for this time through the process? Give me an example of what you mean. Like somebody like Cedric Mullins? Well, yes, either someone who got really good over mm-hmm. a very short period of time or maybe a prospect that is is popped up or a prospect that's had a miserable year. Like who did you go to when you are going through, you looked at them multiple times and every time you looked at them, you wanted to move them in some way because you just kept, you kept thinking something was just a little bit off. Do you have any players like that that you kept coming back to? And the, the ranking is just one of those things where you're like, yeah, he's at 85 today, but I wanted to... I wanted to bump him up for a little while, and then I wanted to drop him. Like, who's who's giving you the most difficulty from a long term value perspective right now? Vidal Burhan is not a bad choice. Um, I have him here at seventy seven. He's lower for me now. He just is, and it really because of the team that he's on. I just don't trust the Rays to play him seven days a week or six days a week. You know. He's somebody, Dylan Carlson is an interesting one that I sort of go back and forth on. Um, Here's the interesting thing about Dylan Carlson. His dad was the coach and Derek Hill, who plays for the Tigers, was also on that team. And I wonder about Carlson, like, was he so successful because he was just so well coached? You know what I mean? And, And is the talent not all the way there? Haven't really... Come to a conclusion. Where are you on Dylan Carlson? I have him at 87 on the list. That has to do with, you know, playing time and age and everything else. But there's a piece of me that thinks that Tyler O'Neill could be in that conversation for the better outfielder. Even Harrison Bader, I'm pretty high on going into next year. Do you do you think that Dylan Carlson, I, 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 I question that rank by me, 87. I still think he should be lower. So, yeah, there's one. I still think Dylan Carlson should be lower than 87. Am I wrong? Where, where what, what am I doing wrong here? Well, I think you're probably you're probably having a difficult time with Carlson at the moment because the step forward this season has been small, but it's been a step forward. He's been an above average player. WRC plus is just a good general guide. How is the player doing overall? 108 WRC plus for a guy really in his first full season. Obviously, he played 35 Super games young. last year. Super young. But like this, this this whole calendar year, if you want to mush last season with this season, this whole body of work is his rookie season. If you combine the two, he's an average player so far. But at age 21 and 22, to be average in the big leagues isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, it's good. It's a good thing. Look at Raphael Devers back then. He wasn't so special, but he he showed up. But my problem with him is he's got two stolen bases. Only two stolen bases so far. Yeah. 115 strikeouts. and I mean, that's a lot of strikeouts. But he's cut the K rate a little bit this year, down to 24.1%. He's walking more than ever. I, I like seeing... Both of those plate skills going the right direction mm-hmm, sure. this early. I think that He's gives me a lot of hope. 22. All right. So we'll keep, I'm going to keep it, him It's an age to level thing. He's been really young everywhere he's played. You know, the barrel rates are, are not eye popping, but they're not terrible. A 7.4% for a player this young is acceptable. I don't, I don't see major red flags in the profile. Maybe we'd like to see more hard hit balls in general. Maybe that's the, the one I, thing. I want to see more speed. Pause. I want to see more speed. Here's another guy that I really struggle with ranking because I love him. So much. Number 98, Byron Buxton. It's a really tough dynasty rank right now. It's a really tough dynasty rank. And even there, it feels, he feels 
too low and way too high. He feels way too low and way too high. <laughs> and that's where I kind of landed him. I mean, you know, these these rankings are interesting, except for the, you know, getting crap about the spelling, which, again, I'm sorry about. I mean, I'm sorry about that. But other than that, it's really fascinating because I, I, I get to kind of just put guys where I, you know, I see, I look at Buxton at 98. I still want him to go higher, like way higher. I really do. I, I, I think of him... But he gets hurt. So, like, what do you do? But when he's playing, I mean, what did he hit? 391 this year? Home runs every two seconds? I mean, I've been... And and what is what does that go back to? That goes back to the pedigree. That goes back to the 2000 and... What was it? 2014 draft? 2013 draft? 2012. Yeah. 2012. Out of high school. Out of high school? Oh, man. That draft. And then you look at guys like David Dahl, who was the number six pick in the draft, I believe, out of Colorado. Who ended up being crap? But then you look at Byron Buxton. So Buxton was the third pick, I think. I want to say Zanino was one to Seattle. Addison Russell, two to the A's. Is that right? Was it Russell? Mm. I'm not sure. 2000. The order of those picks. Do you is tell not me the order and then I'll. Firm in my mind. Russell yeah. went 11th in that draft. I went 11th. Okay. So but I know Zanino was one and I believe Buxton was three. Let's look this up real quick. Buxton went two. Zanino oh. didn't go one. Zanino, I think, actually. Oh, three? Went. Zanino, I think, went three. Yeah, he okay. went three to Seattle. Three. Okay, you know what? I'm confusing that with my Dynasty League. Correa went one. That's right. Yeah, Correa was the Correa one. Correa under slot at one. Buxton. So let's just look at this draft for a minute and we'll figure something out here. Okay? This is a really interesting. Let's just look at the top. Six, no, let's go deeper. Let's go to 22. Top 22. Correa, one. Buxton, two. Zanino, three. Okay, get all that. Get all that. Gossman, four. Get that. Kyle Zimmer, five. That's why I'm still holding out hope for him. Albert Romora, six. Uh, Max Fried, seven. Beautiful. Mark Appel, eight. Didn't sign. Tough break. Andrew Heaney, nine. That's why everyone keeps trying to get him. David Dahl, 10. Addison Russell, 11. Gavin Caccini never showed up, 12. Courtney Hawkins, 13. Nick Treviaso, 14. Tyler Naquin, number 15. Why I've picked him every year in Dynasty Leagues in the draft. Because it's like, he can hit. Look, he was the 15th pick. Lucas Giolito, 16, coming off of Tommy John. If he didn't have Tommy John, he probably would have gone the top three. Um, Then DJ Davis never showed. Corey Seager, 18. Michael Walker, 19. Chris Stratton, 20. Lucas Sims, 21. And Marcus Stroman, 22 out of Duke going to Toronto. Um, they didn't all hit. Far from it. No, the back part of that round gets even worse, too. James Ramsey, Devin Marrero, Richie Schaefer, Stryker, Trahan, Clint Coulter, Victor Roach, Lewis Brinson, Brinson, Ty Hensley, and Brian Johnson. A lot of those guys never made it to the big leagues. But then pick 32 is Jose Berrios. Um, pick number 38 was Mitch Hanniger, 39 was Joey Gallo, 41 was Lance McCullers, 47 Matt Olson, 49 Jesse Winker. So, like, you know, they're guys, 52 Patrick Wisdom, look at that, for the St. Louis Cardinals. So, I really do look at pedigree, it doesn't always work, but it does, it it is part of the, very much part of the conversation for me. I, I am fascinated by this. I wish people were as fascinated by the MLB draft as they are by the NBA or NFL draft. It's just as interesting. It just takes so much longer to see it all kind of materialize. Yeah. And I, I think with Dylan Carlson, just to sort of close the book on him, I still think we're getting one more level for power. I don't know why he's not stealing more bases. So you go back to double A, that breakout minor like 20, league season that he had. 25. He was 18 for 25 at double A. He got a couple more at triple A after that late season bumped that level. So he finished with 20 that year. And that's in 126 games. He gets on base enough where he could run and he's he's fast enough to steal at least a little speed long term is not supposed to be an above average tool for dylan carlson though so it doesn't seem to be so he has to he has to get for more power if he's going to justify top 100 dynasty status in the long run it's got to be like a 25 home run bat i don't i don't know if he's going to get there right away but i think he can get there eventually you know what we should do we should do some of the top 10 we should just look at the guys who are the top 10 real quick and just because there's one guy in this list, I have Otani everywhere. I traded for him in every dynasty league that I had, except XFL. I was I didn't trade for him because Tom Trudeau and Alex Cushing. I had it. I was going to trade Judge and uh, and Jose Barrios for Otani the hitter and Otani the pitcher in XFL, and I got talked out of it. 
And my partner, Steve Gardner, was like, hey, if you want to. And I was like, I want to, I want to. This was like in May. <laughs> and then I got talked out of it. He's not really, he doesn't have the profile of a really great pitcher. It's like, oh, yes, he does. Dumbass. But I have him in, in, in all the other leagues. So I love Otani. So one guy on this list I don't have in any dynasty league and that I really, really want in the top 10. Can you guess who it is? Who's the one guy on this list in the top mm. 10 that I don't have? And I do have Soto and I do have Otani. Who is the one player in this top 10 list that I wish I had? DVR. You never talk about Trey Turner. I've heard you talk about hundreds of trades over the last couple of years. And I don't think you've ever mentioned trading for Turner or trading Turner away. Trey Turner is the guy. Yeah. I just, Ugh. everybody else I'm looking at, I'm like, I've heard Ian talk about this guy. You know. I've heard him talk about this guy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, it's it's a, right. that, that happens in our house now. Well, see, because Steph, <laughs> Steph's never met you in person. She's met Eno now since we live out here. And your you guys' names are so similar. And I'm always doing a podcast with either him or with you. And she's like, was it Ian or Eno? Who are you talking to? And like, now I'm starting to like <laughs> mix it up talking to each of you. So I apologize to no, both no, of you for no, the times that good. I cross that up but okay hey the worst guys that i could be compared to you know is the best trey turner is my guy trey turner is the guy and you can't trade for him you gotta wait till he breaks that's what i do i wait till he breaks and then try to get him i love him man i just i love the way he plays i love the way he runs he hits for power he's just he's like he's just so good He's so good. So it goes one Tatis, two Soto, three Otani, four Acuna, which is sad but true, five Guerrero, six Turner. I'm switching that already in my head. It should not be Guerrero ahead of Turner. Bichette, seven, Trout, eight, Devers, nine, Harper, ten. That's that's that's, that's top that's ten. A ton of floor on Harper still. Like it's it's yeah amazing. Just, I mean, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan, but the, the he he just shows up. He shows Turner, up. so Turner is kind of the opposite of. So with Dylan Carlson, we're hoping that he develops more, more than what he's shown us so far. And he's so young, you can believe in it, right? But now we're starting to say, oh, it's okay, it's probably just power and only a little speed, based on what we're seeing so far. Turner's like a guy that we thought initially was batting average and speed, right? Who, who has shown on multiple occasions that he has legitimate pop, like yeah. that. That is not. That is not a power light speedster at all. That is no. a true five category guy yeah. who I think I love him. in fantasy we've appropriately rated him for years. He's been a consistent first rounder. I think he would be an easy top five guy for me in redraft given some of the yes. uncertainty top, injury yeah. wise with guys yeah, yeah. going the next season. Yeah. Plus he's with the Dodgers, so it's an even better supporting guy. And he's going to have had. second base and shortstop next year. Oof. Yeah. There's a ton of things to like about him. I feel like now in a, from a real baseball perspective, he will get so much more attention now as a member of the Dodgers than he did during his time with the Nationals. Do you know what I always think about with Trey Turner is when he was originally drafted by the Padres and he got, if you can remember who he was traded for, I'll be very impressed because I cannot. That was the three-team trade. I think it was Joe Ross uh, went with Turner to Washington. Steven Souza went from the Nats to the Rays, I think, in that trade. Oh. I'm missing one part of it, but that was a that was a really weird that trade. That was It was Sousa. You're right. I haven't looked it up. I, I, I'd like to see what the rest of the pieces are. But here's what happened. San Diego couldn't trade him till like April. So they had him in spring training. And they called up the Nationals. They said, who else you want? Anyone else you want? We'll give you anybody you want. And they're like, nope, we'll take Turner. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> that the Padres had him on their team as like, you know, they were like fostering him and they couldn't keep him. It was like a dog you foster and you want to keep. And they're like, no, wait, you're going to take him away. That's what I'm with Trey Turner. He is, he's legitimately awesome. Oh, I love him really, so much. Really, really good. So, yeah. Who's your favorite pod- of that top 10 if you had to pick one? Just one player you? that if I were drafting a dynasty league or if it was an auction I mean, if situation, you're gonna, the guy yeah, that I'd want. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, Tati Soto. Otani, I guess, but who's the one that's sort of outside? Take take out the top five. Take out the top six then. Who from seven till 17 would you take? Seven to 17. Tempting to take Wander because you can just dream on the ceiling being through the roof, but um, 
Bobachet, I mean, you've got him at seven. You've got him the highest of that bunch. I, yeah. I think of, of all these players, you want another true five-category player? I think Bichette is that type of player, and I think those players are rare. I mean, I think, for me, Juan Soto counts because he does run enough for now. He's not always going to steal bases. That's going to go away. He's also not going to get any years. pitches. He's also not going to get any pitches for the next couple of years. They're, they're a little bit of a mess, and I think that works against him a little bit, too. But yeah. Bo Bichette, I, I was... I was nervous about him in, in redraft leagues because the price was really high. He was an early second rounder pretty consistently. And we were talking about a guy that had, I think, just under 350 career plate appearances. So it's always tough to commit those early picks to guys that don't even have a full season's worth of plate appearances yet. And I think he's erased any doubts I possibly could have had. Still holding that batting average up nice and high. 284 kind of seems like a floor for him, really, the way he uses the entire field. 20 homers, 18 for 18 as a base stealer, and opposite of the situation where Juan Soto's lineup has gotten a lot worse with the trades they made at the deadline, the Jays have built an offensive monster around Bo Bichette, so you're going to get elite counting stats to go with that power-speed, excellent hit-tool combination. I think the thing that could make Bo Bichette even better is that he could get the K rate down even more. I think there's a chance he gets down closer to like a 15% K rate at his peak. Like We we probably haven't seen the absolute best of Bo Bichette as a hitter just yet, because he's oh, still, no. even, no, 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 even with yet. a full no, season no. here, he's still not even at 1,000 career big league plate appearances. So I think there's still one more level he can unlock. It's mostly you know going to be a batting average sort of gain for him, but could he be a 30-30 guy next year? Yes, I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Bichette going into next year an awful lot. And I was not I was not keen on him coming into this year. I didn't want to pay the price. Um, yeah, they, it, it's a fun, you know, what's good? I'm looking at the list. I don't hate it. I kind of like it. I kind of like the list. You know? It is a very difficult, it's hard It's hard enough to rank players in a redraft when you can, when you can rank them for the indefinite future and the player pool gets so much bigger. It's a very difficult task. We're honored that you do it for us because I don't know about all that but I will say this you know what's fun if someone says a player I just have a number pops into my head that's pretty much how I do it and I say (laughs) just say a player and and I go he should be around like 264 and then I'll take him down to 264 and I'll look at what's around him and then I'll typically go yep that's right or I'll say wait no, no 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 I want him more than I want that guy that guy that guy to try to 54 yeah, maybe that's about right. You know, and then it, it really turns into like, who do I want? And, you know, also one thing I'm going to do in the offseason, which was very popular, turned out, was the top 300 for win now and top 300 for win later. I'm going to do that again. That was really hard. That was like that was like doing a doing some two magic tricks at the same time because it was just like, <laughs> wait, 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 how could he be? And then I had to like check list against list. Like, wait a minute, how can this younger player be higher on the win now than he is on the win for the future? You know, so it was, it probably took like three times as long to do. Um, but I'll do it again in the off season because I think it's valuable. I do. I definitely do think it's valuable. I was going to say it's like juggling while riding a unicycle, but not, yes. juggling is not a magic trick. Neither is riding a unicycle. Yes, but doing them both together is something <laughs> of a magic trick, my friend. Here's it's one more guy. I know. Incredibly here, difficult. Here's one more guy that I. So Cushing and I had a conversation this week because uh, we're competing. He's he's finally rebuilding. I can't believe it. It's not him that we're fighting for the first time, uh, which is good. Go away for a little while, you. <laughs> <laughs> All for it. Uh, he offered us um, DJ LeMayhew and Kenley Jansen for Gavin Lux. LeMayhew and Jansen for Lux. Love the trade for the Lux side. Yeah, I do. LeMayhew will age reasonably well. He will reasonably not well. be out of a job. If, but if we he's weren't, a, he's if a we fast peak guy as an upper end sort of player. But what I love about him is the eligibility for second and third. That's very valuable. And we're go- if we were if it were closer. Like we have right now, out of 150 points, Rob and I, as of this moment, have 139 out of 150, and our Sunshine has 127. So we got a 12 point lead, and we're f- pretty damn secure in it, right? If it were closer, that would be a trade that I would have to make. Something like that. We sent back, instead of giving us Jansen, why don't you? I offered him uh, Lux for LeMayhew and his first round pick, and he passed on that, which was understandable on his part to pass on that. Um, but but Lux is another player that I'm sort of just not sure what to do. 
Right now we have them at 110 on the list. That may still be too high. It's uh, <laughs> it's really hard to look at what he's done as a big league hitter so far right. and in parts of three seasons now, but it's not. 2019 was an end-of-season call-up. 2020, I know he was a COVID guy and he was up and down. The Dodgers were seemingly very upset with him, so it probably wasn't the the least stressful environment for him to go up and, and perform in that spot. Obviously, there's a lot there, but the fact that he didn't take advantage of the Seager injury this year surprises me. I thought when Seager went down, mm-hmm. I said, okay, this is it. This is Lux. This is Lux's time to shine to prove that he is a long-term fixture and maybe even to show the Dodgers, hey, actually, of all the things you're going to spend money on, Corey Seager is not one of those guys. You yeah. can let him go. I, I'm your shortstop. And they took Trey Turner. Right. So, right. so it's probably a case where Lux Seager's gone anyway and Seager's Lux is gone. staying. Or but Lux there's no guarantee. Chris Taylor could be your second baseman, man. Taylor's really so be. underrated. So good. I, I've been so wrong about him overall. But the, the Lux question... In, in theory, he's the perfect by now sort of long-term player. Yeah, because if you look at a 218, 295, 353 line, under 500 career plate appearances, still pretty young. He'll turn 24 in November. 2022 is a huge year for him. I thought 2021 was going to happen. I thought it was going to be, I thought he was going to be this year's Kyle Tucker. I will keep saying that because I own the mistakes. I screwed up. I was wrong. I thought he was going to be a very good player this year. I thought he was undervalued in redraft. I mean, what? I you thought, get him cheap. I got him cheap in a bunch of places. Five bucks. You, you could six afford bucks. to make that mistake. I guess yeah. that's part of the appeal, but I really thought we'd be talking about Lux as an obvious top 50 overall guy going into the next season. Clearly not. He's going to be cheaper next year than he was this year. So Yes, he will. Well, depending on where he goes. Again. Depends depending on, where. on depending on the depth chart and, and factors out of his control. Here's the thing. And A, if, if Cushing's on a player, it's probably a good idea to be on that player. We don't always yep. have a list of the guys Cushing likes. We're not always uh, privy to that. He doesn't just publish a list like, hey, everybody, here are the guys I like. If he did, that'd be great, but he doesn't. Uh, but <laughs> if you look at the tools for Lux, a future value 70 player, according to Fangraphs, the, the number of future value 70 prospects, this not is many. going back to the pedigree stuff, the number of those guys who get a grade like that who fail is very low. Very low. Power's legit. Speed is above average. He's not a good defender. He probably belongs in left field, right? Like that's probably know, where Gavin man. Lux should you're, actually play. He you're convincing play in the me to trade him. You are convincing me to trade him right now. Like just get what I can for him. Well, because I'm it, looking at 110 is Gavin Lux. 115 is Brandon Lau. Who do you rather have in a dynasty league, Lau or Lux? Lau or Lux? Lux or Lau? Playing for right now, I'd rather have Lau. But if I'm playing for the future, I'd rather have Lux. Yeah. Lux's well, profile is going to age better if he if he does what he's supposed to do. Lux? He ages a lot better. Is he 23? He'll be 24 in November. Yeah. He'll be 24 in November? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> That's not great. I would have More I questions than answers here at the end of the pod, which is yeah. always great. Could leave people on a cliffhanger with an unanswered question. <laughs> I, I'm still in on Gavin Lux. I will take the position that I, in both redraft for 2022 Keeper in Dynasty where I can. I'm trading for him right now. I still think the future is very bright, despite a pretty sluggish first 500 plate appearances to start his career. Okay. Uh, two guys that I am looking to buy in the offseason in redraft leagues and maybe in Dynasty are Anthony Rendon and Alex Bregman. Yep. Because those guys are hated by their owners right now because they have just disappointed tremendously and a guy to um sell is Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I I think when you speed is such a big part of your game and you get to his age, it's Oh, can rather... I say this? This wait, I got to say this because you were dead on right and I was dead on wrong on a player. Can we talk about this? Sure. Starling Marte. You said it and I was like, "Nah." You're like Starling Marte. I was like, "Nah." You were freaking right. Holy smoke. He's on the verge of 40 stolen bases right now. God. He's really good. I didn't expect this much batting average, but uh, I'll take it. Oh, man. It's so impressive. 37 really, really for good. 40 in 85 games, too. <laughs> ridiculous, man. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's he, And I have him, you know, I had him at 50. I have him at 59 on this list. Still probably pretty right. Well, yeah, he'll be 33 in October. 
Yeah, can't really jump much higher than that. But boy, oh boy, he's just a—he's just the man. He's the man. What a beast. But see, these things change. Because I have Freddie Peralta at 46. He's hurt. Got to drop him. Got to drop him down. Hurt pitchers. Carlos Rodon, 55. I, I, I think I had that idea. I should have changed it after he got injured and before I published the list. Things happen. I mean, it's really, you know, like I said, the minute you publish, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I feel good about that. But overall, I feel good about the list. If you are not yet an athletic subscriber, please subscribe and you can look at the list and you can, uh, you know, make comments in the bottom. Mostly people comment very nice. They say nice things. Um, you can say mean things like you're spelling everything wrong, Con. You suck. <laughs> one guy do that. Our subscribers are, are, are generally really awesome. Yes, very nice. I mean, very nice. It's always awesome fun. for the fact that they support the site and help us all pay our bills. That's that's tremendous, but I, the the quality of the interaction in the comment section is generally really good. Excellent. I, yes. I appreciate that about our yeah. subscribers. Uh, but theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast is the URL if you want to get a discount. It's a good thing we don't do under the radar on Sunday nights because it'd be three and a half hours long. With no hard outs, the show would go on right. forever. It's true. Well, th- there you go. And <laughs> sadly, I, I will say fun, super fun. This is old school. You and I used to do this at Rotowire, um, but miss, miss, the, miss the big guy. Miss the big guy. For the man, I miss it, and you're not going to get it. We're not, I'm not going to do it. Can't do it. You can't, can't do, do it without it. him. Nope. But the good nope. news is we're back on Tuesday. The Absolutely. next Under the Radar is already coming up on Tuesday, so we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, hopefully, we we didn't hurt our friend too much by doing uh, an extra show He'll give us crap him. about it. He'll give us crap, for sure. I got, and I, got some, I got some fun things to talk about on the show on Tuesday. Sorry to, sorry to pull out there for you. We're going to be talking about throwing home run balls back. We're going to talk about Miguel Cabrera as a leader. We're going to talk about Andrew Velasquez's first home run. Oh, my God. That was a amazing to watch Pujols after the game after a big home run hugging dave roberts and what that means and the body language of managers that's just some of the stuff we'll be talking about on under the radar there you have it that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the athletic fantasy baseball podcast we are back with you on tuesday bye